I have a very interesting guest today. Uh, he started a, a bunch of successful companies. He owns what was the first co-working space and entrepreneurial hub in Charlotte called Packard Place. Uh, he recently created an investment fund that focuses on early stage companies. Uh, but most importantly, he sits, if not at, then very near the center of the entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I would love to cover all of these as well as his background, but we're a little bit tight on time, so I'll probably have to have Dan back a few times to cover it all. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Oh yeah, pleasure to be here. Uh, can you give us some background on what you did before going out on your own? I think I always like to set the stage because most people start in corporate and then move into this crazy world. Yeah, that's certainly my background as well. So I started in the consumer package goods world um, as a marketing guy. So uh, General Mills, Colgate, Palmolive, M&MRs. So fun fact, if you look to my LinkedIn profile, uh, my opening sentence is, I know more about M&Ms and tequila than any human being you've ever met before in your life. Now, I don't mind the whiskey, but I might have to get you a nice bottle of tequila for your guests as well. So what, what's your favorite tequila? I must know. Oh, I, I have to be brand loyal, right? So Sousa was my brand. So Sousa Tres Generaciones is nice. I love Trace. Uh, Or Hornitos is fantastic. So Have you ever tried Fortaleza? I have. It's it's very good tequila. Yeah. yeah, I like that. And I like one called The Bad Stuff. It's very poor. I, I have not had that. And El Tapatio is another really good one. Uh, you like, sound so. like a, a, at least an, an amateur connoisseur, if not a pro connoisseur. I love it. At, at level, we um we had Tequila Friday where everybody would come hang out uh, at the at, at the um, outside of my office and we would drink my different fancy tequilas. So, so. how did you beat me to the punch on Tequila Fridays, man? How did I let that happen? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, was, it was a fun time. And, and as you know, it's really important as a company grows. We were up to a couple hundred people by yeah. the time I, I stepped out. It was just a really good way to get connected to the to the people. And, and most people have never had good tequila. They, they don't realize that there they, actually is a high quality They version. expect to be, well, I actually know the story of why that happened. Uh, in the 1960s, there was an agave shortage. And agave is the plant that they make tequila out of. It's a little pineapple-looking mm -hmm. thing. And there was an agave shortage, so the Mexican government changed the standard of identity of tequila to only have to be 51% tequila and 49% something else. What they did is they put the cheapest sugarcane liquor they could put in, okay. which is why Jose Cuervo tastes like crap, is it's 49% crap. And it makes you feel like crap. But, it but does. You, you, drink, you drink Fortaleza, and, and you're going to feel fantastic. fine. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a beautiful liqueur. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Sorry about that. I, uh, Taylor had asked me about the M&M's and tequila, and I didn't know anything about it, so I'm glad you gave us the background there. <laughs> um, well, well, that's great. So so, so you mentioned um, the, the CPG. I, yeah. I know from your background uh, that you also spent some time in the banks. Can you maybe talk about that? I as did. Well? So in, in 2000, I got recruited to come work for Bank of America, and it's funny. Uh, I remember the recruiter calling him. I'm like, oh, God, there's no way I want to work for Bank of America. <laughs> and he's Were like, you in Charlotte yet at that no, point? No, no, no. I was okay. in Connecticut working for the, the okay. liquor company. And he's like, just take the interview. It'll be a good interview. And so I kind of semi-reluctantly came down, uh, and I got the opportunity to interview to be the brand and advertising executive for Bank of America. So I ran brand strategy and Marcom for the for the for the whole brand. Okay. Um, that was at the time Ken Lewis um, had just become president, and um, they were looking for people from outside. And, okay. And I even <laughs> I had this is funny. I I, uh, I was interviewing with Ken Lewis, the president of Bank of America, and I actually asked Ken. I'm like. I don't know anything about financial services. Why in the world would you want to hire me? And he's like, well, we got plenty of people who understand financial services. We want people who understand organic growth. Uh, and it was a fantastic move for me. Learned financial services. Uh, got the family of Charlotte. It was one of the best choices I've made in my life. So so was that, because obviously during Hugh McCall's tenure, it was all about let's build up and build a, na mm -hmm. a true national bank. And they were obviously along with Citi and J.P. Morgan, one of the first to do it. Yeah. But I'm guessing that was part of their shift in strategy towards it, organic It, it absolutely was. Okay. And he, he was still there at the time, so I got to meet Hugh. And he's actually, we'll talk about this later, he's one of the investors in our fund now. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, so how, how did each of those help you evolve into an entrepreneur and, and want to go out on your own? Can you maybe talk about what, what each of those experiences brought? Or maybe some of them didn't really awaken that itch that you needed to scratch. But Yeah, you know, people talk about the term being an entrepreneur and being aggressive in terms of, mm -hmm. of how to move stuff forward. And I think that was always what I tried to do in the corporate world. Um, uh, in the corporate world, I was always seen as somebody coming in to be a change agent. Okay. So I even talked about that at Bank of America, which is I said, if you're if you want to hire someone to come in and do the status quo, please don't hire me. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll be miserable. I'll make you all miserable. And so I went places where they were looking to be change agents, and, th and that worked out well. And then um, you know when I left Bank of America, the idea of of staying in Charlotte was really important to us, and sure. we looked at that, and that's where I met. Um, 
Rick Elias and um, ended up being one of the founding partners in Red Ventures. And that worked out extremely well. Maybe you could tell, I think everybody in Charlotte certainly knows about Red Ventures and even beyond, but maybe you could just talk a little bit because I think they're a very big deal and some people may not quite appreciate what Red Ventures has, has become. Yeah, you know, and they're certainly very different at the time we came together. I think there might have been 20 people. I think I kept the original first Red Ventures P&L uh, where we were projected to make $200,000 worth a year or something silly <laughs> that I'll, I'll sell back to Rick Elias in the corporate archive at some, at some point, I'm sure. Um, and, uh, but the original model of Red Ventures, which most people don't realize, is that we're all going to be partners, entrepreneurial partners in our own business. Mm-hmm. And then Red Ventures was going to be the holding company. And the idea was that we'd get some entrepreneurial diversification of risk by being partners with four, five, six other guys okay. to have one of the businesses popped. It would work out for all of us. Um, and so I, since I was the branding guy, I came up with the Red Ventures name, which was never meant to be a consumer-facing, forward-facing name. And of course, now that's the name of the company. Okay. Uh, so I get teased about that often. <laughs> Um, and then what happened is one of the companies uh, started to take off, the company that was called Direct Star TV. And Rick came into a partner meeting one day and said, we think this is the one, let's divest everything else and focus on this. And so I basically took the company that uh, I had been running and we spun it out of Red Ventures and it worked out well. That's great. And I believe you started a couple of other companies that were related to, to that one. We did in the fintech space or in the marketing space as well. Um, so I guess when I'm looking for credibility for in the entrepreneurial world with someone I haven't met, um, the kind of one fact I throw out is that I've co-founded three different companies that have made it onto the Inc. 500 list. Uh, Inc. ranks the fastest growing private companies in America. So it's kind of like Fortune 500, but the Inc. 500. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've co-founded three different companies on the list. And there just aren't that many people that have done that, yeah. uh, especially when you marry that back with the big corporate experience. Well, and to get on the Inc. 500, you have to be five years in business, which yeah. mo- most people who start businesses don't last five years. Once you make that five-year then you're very likely to have a successful company. So yeah. being on the list is great, but it also implies that you've that you've been around for five years. So it's not just something that you started. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I've counted more. I've started more multi-million dollar businesses than I can actually count easily. So that's great. Great. So so obviously you had some very very um, interesting experiences both between Red Ventures and then and then your own companies. When when did the idea for Packard Place uh, start start to happen? You know, the very first idea as an entrepreneur, you look at your P&L, right? And we were spending, I can't remember the exact number, $175,000, $200,000 in rent every year. And I'm like, well, that's crazy, right? I don't, I don't spend that much to rent my house. I own my house because I'm building equity. And so that was the original thought. Most entrepreneurs don't like to do that. And, and advisors will tell you, stick to your knitting. You're not in real mm-hmm. estate. Anyways. And so we started looking around for it, and um, and it was about that time where Sarah and I, Sarah's my wife and business partner, who's a very accomplished business person. I probably should be right. interviewing her. She's actually... Well, she was in the inaugural <laughs> class of the uh, Women's Entrepreneurial Hall of Fame in North Carolina. That's so great. So she, she should certainly be on your list. Uh, I'm just going to have to get a uh, non-disclosure agreement signed with Sarah before she comes on air, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, so we really had some success, and we were talking about how do we give back? Yep. Why is Charlotte going to be better... Um, for us having lived here, and what is our legacy going to be? We um, we certainly we have worked very hard, but we've had a ton of people help us. We've gotten a lot of good breaks, and we really wanted to pay that forward. And that's where the idea of Packer Place came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of describe it as we knew, and as you knew too, back ten years ago. We had uh, some good entrepreneurs in town, and we had all the right elements in town uh, to to form a really vibrant entrepreneurial community, it just had not come together in the right way. Yeah. And we thought a physical hub would change how the whole ecosystem interacted. And I think, you know, nine, 10 years later, we can claim victory on that that theory. Absolutely. And, and for folks who don't know or haven't spent time in Charlotte, it, it was, uh, a, I won't call it a barren wasteland, but it was not an entrepreneurial <laughs> City by any stretch. It was a very, very pleasant city. I moved here and loved it because... It's just a big company town. It's a a big company town. I I joked 10 years ago in Charlotte when you told people you were an entrepreneur, they would gently lay their hand on your shoulder and go, ooh, (laughs) when did you get laid off from the bank? Yeah, exactly. And now in Charlotte, if you tell people you're an entrepreneur, they're like, oh, cool, tell me what you're doing. Yeah. And and people in the big companies, as you describe what you're doing as an entrepreneur, you can see them kind of, their shoulders kind of shrink and shrink and they're like... Yeah. I wish I could go do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the same way um, when, I, when I tell people who work in those big corporate jobs and they're like, oh, where do you live? And they're talking, they're telling me about Valentine or yeah, wherever sure. they live. And then I say Plaza Midwood and they're like, oh, man, you get to live where, <laughs> where the cool kids hang out. <laughs> and it's, it's the same thing. I, there's a lot of, I won't say jealousy, but the people who have never gone and started something or worked for a tech company, um, they, 
they ask a lot of questions, which is largely why I started this podcast. Because I think, although yeah, I've got access right. to very interesting people like yourself and Garth and Greg Brown mm-hmm. and, and and a whole bunch of others, I, I think that a lot of people are very interested in learning about what makes people like you yeah. tick. So, um, great. I, so, I, have, I have an answer for that, by the way. Which is entrepreneurs, if you know, uh, in statistics, a standard deviation, that standard kind of bell curve. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs are not in the standard deviation of humanity. We are abnormal yes. people. And that's just part of what makes us tick. A- absolutely. And usually have other aspects of their life that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Not just, the, it's the same thing that makes you an entrepreneur, makes you do something else that's interesting as like, well. Like buy an empty <laughs> downtown office building? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So actually, let's talk about the Packard Place building itself, what it was and what it has become, because that, that story is really interesting to me, because I think it represents a time when maybe there was entrepreneurialism here. Because we've got to remember, Bank of America was an entrepreneurial yeah, thing at one point. Sure. Harris Teeter was an entrepreneurial thing. Family yeah. Dollar. Food line. Yeah. Go right Food down the list. Yeah, exactly. And so so Packard Place story... Um, we decided to, to, to take a shot at building this entrepreneurship center, and in the middle of the Great Recession, mm-hmm. um, we bought an empty downtown office building with the idea that it was going to be an entrepreneurship center. And but but it used to be an act. What a, uh, what was its history? A hundred so, years before? So, yeah. So we realized it was built in 1928 uh, originally as a showroom for Packard automobiles, mm-hmm. um, and that's why we called the building Packard Place. Now we didn't learn the story until after we bought the building, but it was very fortuitous. Um, James Ward Packard, the founder mm-hmm. of Packard Automobiles, uh, was a great innovator. He was an American entrepreneurship story. I think mm-hmm. I can innovate and do it better, and I create a cool company, and I revolutionize people's lives. So a lot of the stuff you know in your modern car, um, uh, so oil temperature gauges, uh, turn signals, uh, windshield wipers, all came from Packard's innovations. And um, it was a classic American entrepreneurship story. And, and when we found out that he had, had, was the original emphasis for the building, we said, what a great tribute to pay. And we pulled, if you ever go to Packard Place, in the ground right in front of the building is a brass name plaque uh, called Packard Place. And the building hadn't been called that in 40 years. We pulled that out of the ground, had it professionally restored, and started calling the building Packard Place again. That's great. I, I remember one of the features that I noticed on it in the, in the very early days was um, – you, you had a wind, a, a wind, wind turbine, turbine up yeah. on the top. They're still up there. There's two <laughs> yeah. wind turbines. There's a solar plant up there. Oh, yeah. And, and again, for people who don't know Charlotte, uh, this wasn't a great location in terms of the center of gravity of the city at the time. Um, but now it's turned out to be just a very, very favorable location. You're right in front yeah. of one of the nicest downtown parks or Mary Bearden Park. Uh, the the ballpark is right there. Uh, you were you're a stone's throw away from from Bank of America Stadium, yeah. and that entire South Corridor has just been transformed in the last five years. It's amazing. Yeah, we uh, we now uh, lovingly call Romier Bearden Park the Packard Place Outdoor Conference Center. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it really is a beautiful park. Um, so I met you around the time that Curtis Watkins started putting together CLT Jewels. Yeah. Uh, can you speak a little bit about what that was about and how it fits into the the Packard message? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, we did a big launch party, and I can't remember if you were at a launch party or not. I was. Uh, um, we had the mayor there, and we also had yeah. uh, Jim Rogers showed up. Yeah, yeah, for CLT Jewels. Well, yeah. and we did a launch party for Packard Place oh, okay. that got like 350 people uh, to come out. And I kind of joked. And if you really, if listeners want to waste 16 minutes of their life, there's still a YouTube video <laughs> of the video I did 10 years ago at the launch of Packard place. We'll, we'll put that video in the show notes. Yeah, so. There we go. Yeah. And basically says, uh, you know, Sarah and I have stuck our neck way out here to do this entrepreneurship center and you, the community, you have to rally around what needs to happen, uh, and help us, um, form it. And so I kind of joke that Packard place is like a really large community crowdsourced project. And that's part of what's made it successful, John, is the mm-hmm. fact that people from the community came forward and said, we think we need to go do this next. And that's where the idea for the meeting space came from, from the coffee space came from, from co-working came from, the accelerator came from. And that's where CLT Jewels came from. Because okay. uh, Curtis was a executive at Duke at the time. He read the article about the launch party. He called me up and said, can we meet? And I said, sure. And he's a former, he's started a couple of companies himself Yeah, he's an entrepreneur well. and then went into the innovation group at Duke. And he and I were the, the people that founded CLT Jewels. So uh, again, another naming convention, that was my name, CLT Jewels. So lots of people hate the name. That was my doing. So you can once again 
um, castigate me for bad naming of companies <laughs> that have stuck around. Well, I, I like the name because Jules is consistent with the Queen City theme, but it also you J-O-U-L-E-S. got it. See, yeah, yeah. you got it. All right, I like it. Yeah, so so I was involved with with NextGrid at the time. I was uh, the COO and one, one of the co-founders of, of a smart grid company called NextGrid, which is how I got plugged into CLT Jewels, and I actually was on the found, one of the founding board members yeah, of, of CLT Jewels. Yeah. And you were in that office that's right, right on the corner. Yeah, no, I remember yeah. it well. Yeah, well, so we can talk about that. We moved NextGrid into the space. You were you were quite the sales guy, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and it was interesting to see how Packard and Charlotte were changing. Uh, the ballpark yeah. and Bearden Park were under construction. Yep. Um, Ink and Ivy was soon doing a build that would transform the old Picasso's space dramatically. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte was really coming into the national spotlight for good reasons, as opposed to lately there have been some bad reasons that were in the national spotlight. Mm-hmm. But but we had the DNC in 2012. There was just a lot of energy uh, going on, and it was it was a really cool time to see the the transformation happening in Charlotte, but also for for Packard Place. Um, at so so CLT Jewels is an incubator duke energy fund i think duke funded a big part of it wrote the first uh, check uh, i think it was the first check it was small it started and then i think larger as time okay went on. um so so the idea of clt jewels for the listeners is to bring in energy co- companies that are related to the energy space and give them mentoring and give them connectivity into duke energy or siemens has a big presence here um, there's, there's some really big energy companies. And, and that came, by the way, um, we had a, a meeting after Chris and I met of just people interested in energy innovation, energy startups at Packer Place, a big community yep. meeting. And what people quickly realized is um, we don't have a lot of things in Charlotte, but what we do have is a lot of really big companies in fintech, in energy, in yep. healthcare. And that idea of leveraging the big companies, i.e. Duke in this case, was what allowed that to get started. That's still true for Charlotte. One yep. of our assets is a big company partnerships. Ab- absolutely. So, so, so it was a natural thing for us to move NextGrid there because here's all these, here's all these startups and NextGrid, I don't think was a startup at that point. We were probably 25 people with 5 million a year in revenue. Um, but it just made a lot of sense, still a very innovative company. And, uh, and, and so it made a lot of sense. And then, um, at some point I stepped out of the day to day with, with NextGrid and, and Chris Hart and I created Reward Summit. Um, and we enrolled that in your RevTech program. Can you maybe yeah. talk about that program and kind of what it's morphed into? Because I think Jules was successful, but I think RevTech has turned into something that's probably got more legs. But yeah. I'd love to hear it, your perspective it, on to- that. Totally fair point. Um, so I mentioned that Packer Place is like a large community crowdsourced project, right? Mm-hmm. So about a year and a half in, uh, post the DNC, a number of tech leaders come and sit with me and they say, we're bleeding all this on-girl tech talent and no one recognizes it. And people think they have to go to, to Raleigh or to Atlanta or maybe even Austin or Boulder. Mm-hmm. Why don't we do a tech accelerator? The senior people all mentor, um, they get to know each other. The junior people get the benefit of that mentorship. We raise the flag for technology in Charlotte and everybody wins. Yep. And I said, great, what's an accelerator? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we learned how to run an accelerator program. And the first name for it was RevTech Labs and it was local. Uh, was DealCloud part of it? Because I think I was in the second cohort. No, DealCloud was not in, okay. in, the, in the first cohort, but uh, there were five companies in the first cohort. Uh, ten, and so wait, we, it, was, it, was a, it was no money in, no equity stake out, all mm-hmm. volunteers. We did the second program, uh, twice as good, twice as many companies applied. Demo Day was twice as large. Everyone in the community loves it. And I sat down with Adam Hill, who was our director at the time, mm-hmm. and Adam and I were debriefing. It's was like, okay, everyone loved it, but we paid all the expenses for the program. We volunteered all of our time. We charged <laughs> nothing to get in the program. There's we no gave equity, free rent. There's no equity stake. We gave free rent. So this is the definition of an unsustainable business model. Yeah. And we decided we had to do one of two things, which is let it be kind of a volunteer nonprofit thing or get in the professional accelerator business. And that's what we chose to do. Mm-hmm. And we went out and benchmarked versus the people that were out there, Techstars, Y Combinator, 500 Startups, um, and went that route. And then we talked about, all right, if we're going to do that, where can we compete on a national and international level and win. Mm-hmm. Because that was really important. If we're going to do it, let's do it at a world-class level. And fintech was the obvious answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people think I was a fintech guy by background or had a real burning desire to go do a fintech accelerator. It wasn't. That was the hand we had dealt in Charlotte, and we played the hand that we'd gotten dealt. Yep. Uh, we got really lucky that about a year after we chose to do that, fintech as a category takes off and becomes white hot in terms of innovation, venture space. And, and so sometimes... As is true with all entrepreneurs, you work really hard, you position yourself well, 
and you hope for that lucky break. And we certainly got one. Well, and, and it helps that we've got some world-class fintech companies born and raised here. When you look at Avid Exchange, when you look at Passport, when you look at Pazer, when you look at... Yeah, uh, but those guys weren't on the radar screen when yeah. we started. I yeah, mean, no, exactly. Avid Exchange, yeah. people are still wondering whether they get their money back from their original angel yeah. investment at that point. <laughs> I don't think they're thinking that anymore. They're not thinking that anymore. <laughs> No, but it is it, like like you said. It's it's a, some a lot of serendipity there because it's, all, all of these different factors are are, are, are coming together. I'll, I'll tell you what I got out of RevTech. It was interesting because as yeah. you mentioned, there's no there was no investment. There was no you know no no um, we the the you know the to me the there was value in having free space mm-hmm. quote unquote. But that wasn't it. I, we met two maybe three very very influential people in my life who have have helped me out tremendously that I would not have met otherwise. Um, David Miller was one of the yeah. mentors that you pilled, yeah. poured, um, paired me up with. Uh, David is one of the founders of Avid Exchange, yep. and w- to this day we still talk uh, quite quite frequently. We go go grab a coffee together and just trade notes, and he's been really yeah, helpful a on a couple of things. And then um, the real game—I mean, the real game changer for Reward Summit was we met Jeremy Olson, which mm-hmm. for anybody who doesn't know is a, a world-class designer. He had a small design shop here in town. He created four or five apps that were award-winning. I think he got like age twenty-two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, out of UNC Charlotte, it was it was absolutely amazing. And we were really sputtering with the product. We, Chris and I, built it the way an engineer would build it, and we didn't really think of it the way that a. Jeremy's fascinating because he thinks like a West Coast person, and he's now in the West Coast yeah. working for a very successful uh, tech company over there. Uh, but but he just changed our way of thinking and and actually we ended up giving him a contract to redesign it and that got us featured by Apple, it got us picked up by all of these uh, national blogs. Yeah, that's right. It, it was it was amazing and we would have never met him without without uh, the, the the RevTech program and I think that's probably the bigger advantage that you get to a Packard place is that it's just a place for people to meet really interesting yeah, people. Yeah, that was the hard part in Charlotte when we started Packard Place. It's hard to explain what you just said yeah. to people in advance of it happening. Yeah. Right, that, that's, that serendipity of the collision of people. When I was trying to describe that to people when we bought the building, they would look at me and they're like, what? Yeah. And then after about two years, when the building was going and people could walk through the building and they could see it and they could hear stories like that, they're like, oh, now yeah. I get it. Well, and you mentioned Adam Hill. I met Adam through this whole experience and Adam came and worked at Level for three years and we... Technically, I think you guys stole him. Well, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, when I talk about, obviously, Chris being being one of the founders was instrumental. We hired a guy named Scott Harkey very early on who was a game changer, yeah. Sean Shelley. But I think one of the underrated folks that played a massive part in that was Adam Hill. And yeah, again, we, w- we wouldn't have met him without with, yeah. without that. So it, the, the, there were all sorts of, of stories. I think I met Garth at a, an actual event there when they were doing the uh, the other screen thing. Yeah. So That's a, great. Yeah. I'm glad, glad to hear that. So, and, and I apologize. I was real heads down at level at the time and don't recall all the details, but did you did you sell the garage but kept the building? Is that <laughs> <laughs> I so, vaguely remember this happening, but I don't want to get the details so, wrong. So <laughs> we were running Packer Place, uh, and it was up and running and doing well. Uh, and I was really focusing my time on the accelerator, the QC fintech program, when we switched mm-hmm. into fintech, um, and running major conferences at that point. So we tried to find a partner who could basically run the building, but we could still own it. Okay. And we tried partnering with the HQ group out of Raleigh. Mm-hmm. Um, great people, still love them. It just didn't work for them to try and stretch over to Charlotte to do it. Did they operate the thing in the tobacco warehouse district? That's exactly okay. right, yeah. And so that, uh, They've done a fantastic well, there's job. There's American there. Underground, which was tobacco warehouse, and then HQ was more on the Raleigh side. But yeah, but, but, oh, gotcha. but, but okay. Similar, okay. similar folks. Um, and, and it just didn't kind of work out. So we kind of unraveled that partnership. But that's also interesting. Um, part of the story of Charlotte is um, because we are a banking town, because we are a risk-averse town, because we are a command and control town, one of the things that we have to get used to in this community is trying things that don't work. It is yep. not the end of the world to have gone and done a partnership with HQ for a year and unravel it. And at the yeah. time, people are like, oh, my God. It's like, dude, this is what entrepreneurship yeah, is. There's it, a lot of trial and error. It's get, messy. <laughs> get used to stuff not working. It's not yep. the end of the world. So yep. it's actually one of the things that um, doesn't get talked a lot about Packard Place in my journey over the last nine years is I've tried some things that have been really bad failures. Yeah. That's okay. It's not the end of the world. We yeah. need to get used to that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's one of the major differences um, with, with West Coast companies yeah. is if you aren't breaking things and failing, you're not trying yeah, hard exactly enough. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so do you have... 
do you know off the top of your head roughly how many companies have been through all of RevTech, Queen City FinTech, and Jules, or any of the other programs that you've done through the years? So, so two things. Let me start with Packard Place. Uh, we just actually did a community impact report because we were wondering what was the impact of Packard Place. Uh, we think we've had about 400 companies come through, including the accelerators. Wow. Um, what, this is, this is going to shock you because I'm not sure you heard this number. Um, guess what amount of venture capital those foreign companies have raised in nine years? I, I would have no way of quantifying Two billion dollars in venture Two capital. Two billion dollars, um, wow. What's, last what year, was the biggest single one? Uh, Sunlight Financial, okay. by far. Um, but if you, if you go back to it, we last year alone, $210 million in exits from wow. Packard Place alumni uh, created, we think, around 2,500 jobs, held about 3,500 community events. I joke that we think we've poured 40,000 pints of beer, which I swear <laughs> to God, I probably poured 1,000 myself personally. Um, I've poured a few too. I think, I think Level has sponsored a few, <laughs> few of those drinks. I think you have. <laughs> and, and so all of a sudden you start looking at stats like that, and you know what? That makes Packer Place one of the most successful entrepreneurship centers in any city in the country. And That's people great. talk about New York and San Francisco and their great ecosystems. But you know what? Um, if I had stood here nine years ago mm -hmm. at that launch party, and said, our alumni are going to, in nine years, going to raise $2 billion in capital, I would have been laughed out of the state of North Carolina. Sure. And that's part of what entrepreneurship is great, is, is doing stuff that people think you're crazy, and then they look back and go, well, damn if he didn't do it. <laughs> so so you mentioned $2 billion of capital raised, $210 million of exits. Those, those are all very important. How many of those 400 companies have achieved escape velocity? Because we know that yeah. A lot of them are, everybody's trying to get on the rocket ship. A lot of rocket ships yeah. fall back to yeah. earth. I've been involved, Reward Summit is one of those. But how many of those companies would you say have achieved escape velocity? I, I would say less than 10%. Okay. And, and you know, that's the statistic. That's okay. Um, yeah. I think the accelerator companies do better than in Packard Place, right? They're, they're certainly in an incubator space and they can have those serendipity of events like you talked about. Mm -hmm. But there's not a structured program uh, as much. And so I think the accelerator companies do much better. For example, uh, QC FinTech, I think we've now brought in 85 companies from around the world. Uh, the survival rate two years post-program is about 88%, which wow. we think is great. We're also really proud of the fact that 52% of all the companies that have come in, this is in FinTech, either have a female founder or a founder of color on the founding team. Wow. That, that's just good recruiting on the part of the team. Yeah. Um, and so we think that's really impressive statistics. I think we're at about 45 or 50 million in venture capital raised. Some companies that haven't had any exits yet. Uh, some companies that are well on their way and certainly mm -hmm. have already um, uh, maintained or, or gotten uh, escape velocity, as you call it. Yep. Oh, that's great. That, that, that's so impressive. Um, re recently, you started closing on a fund, or maybe you have closed it, that will invest in companies. Can you tell the audience about that? And is that what you talk about when your incubator is now yeah. is, is now actually investing capital as well? Yeah, it's exactly. We started the accelerator, uh, again, because of the way we started that we talked about earlier. Sorry, uh, we, accelerator, not incubator. Accelerator. We didn't know what we didn't know. And uh, we didn't know that we were supposed to have a venture fund to go launch an accelerator. <laughs> and we launched it because we were trying to build our community in almost every accelerator in the world was started by a venture fund or somebody who had a balance sheet who's looking to enhance their deal flow mm -hmm. with the money they already have. And we did the hard part first, which is why no one does it this way, uh, and built the accelerator, built the deal flow, got world-class companies to come in, uh, but we never had a fund to be able to invest in them. In but, so it wasn't a, it wasn't the vision to always do the investing. It was just something it, you learned it, as it, you went it, along. It came, yeah, yeah, it came out of, um, you know, kind of strategic one step at a time. I certainly didn't start nine years ago saying, hey, we're going to go get in the venture business. And even when we started the accelerator, we didn't say we're going to go get in the venture business. But it's what we needed to do. So I've always kind of asked the question, what do we need to go do next in the community mm -hmm. to move the community forward and make money, right? Um, yeah. I definitely believe that Packard Place and even the accelerator are some of Charlotte's most successful social entrepreneurship projects. And then we could do a whole nother podcast on social entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. But this idea that we can, yes, we can make a fair return for our risk and investment and have a huge positive social impact on the community at the same time is something I'm deeply passionate about. Yeah, it's not an either or. It's a both and situation. Exactly. I think we've scripted two generations of American entrepreneurs um, with the I can make money or I can do good. And uh, if there's one thing I could help tear down in the, in, the, in the next phase of my career, I think I'm going to talk more and more about how to promote social entrepreneurship because I believe deeply in it. Mm -hmm. I, I do too. Uh, 
So I had Greg Brown in here a few weeks ago, um, and, and I know you, he talked a lot about how you've been so helpful letting him use the garage for Charlotte yeah. Angel Fund meetings. Um, how much did you learn from that experience in launching your fund of, of just having them there? And, and obviously you participate in the fund yourself. Yeah. but I do. Um, it's been great. Um, there is a difference between angel funding and venture funding, right? Because mm-hmm. if for the listeners who don't know, angel funding is – basically high net worth people who are investing their own money and venture money is when you go get other people's money mm-hmm. and invest it on a group's behalf, right? So there's mm-hmm. a different different level of pressure when you have other people's money sure. and you've got to go make money with it. Uh, but, but Greg has been very supportive um, uh, along the line, as has the folks at, at Venture South, who, by the way, should be someone in your podcast if you haven't had yet, is the Venture South folks. Um, they have a chapter here in Charlotte, which I'm a member of as well. Um, and so that's been great. And the ecosystem has just grown up over the nine years. I mean, I joke with some of the people who were here nine years ago that you used to be able to go to every entrepreneurial event in Charlotte and you'd see the same group of 30 people because we could go to all the events there were because there were only about 12. Yep. And very quickly, um, this robustness took off. And now there's so much stuff happening that I don't even know is happening. It's really cool to see. That That is very cool to see. Uh, do you anticipate sh- sharing much deal flow with Venture South or with oh, Charlotte we, we, Angel? We Florida? totally will. Yep. We think any deal that we, uh, that we end up funding they, they will take a look at as well. So I think there's going to be some nice synergies there. Well, and Greg talked about the angel fund typically doesn't lead, although they have led. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine knowing your personality, you have no problem leading. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting because our fund is a $10 million fund specific to fintech, mm-hmm. primarily to invest in graduates of the program, at least in this first fund. Um, that creates a little bit of a problem for us is that we're very familiar mm-hmm. with those companies. And so most of our investors would like to see us not lead because they'd like to see some okay. uh, third-party, arm's-length person set the terms. That makes um, sense. So we may lead from time to time, but we probably won't do most leading, to be honest. Yep. Very interesting. So how have the events that happen at Packard changed through the past decade? You talked about how they've changed in yeah. Charlotte to where you just can't even keep up with it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but how have they changed at Packard? Is it better programming, more planned? Or, 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 can you just talk about how that's evolved? You know, we've done a little bit of trial and error, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we started with the opportunity for people to use the space as mm-hmm. long as their mission was aligned with our mission of, of making the entrepreneurial community better. And so the first program we did was just uh, allowing good people to come in and do great programming. Juan Garzon, uh, actually all the way back was Jim Van Fleet. Um, and Vic Howie. And, and Vic Howie, right. Yeah, I, pitched pitch their, I pitched at their first event. At the pitch breakfast, right? Yeah. I mean, and so uh, things like that that have now taken off and, and been so valuable to the community and are literally, you know, an institution in Charlotte at this point. And just giving them the mechanism to be able to let that happen um, it was important. We now do our own programming, which I think has gotten really good, uh, such as the third Thursday legal lunch that uh, Chris Clark puts on. We do a community breakfast once a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do the Packard Place Public House once a month. So if you don't know and you're in the Charlotte area, once a month we turn the first floor of Packard Place into a big pub mm-hmm. uh, and, and buy everyone drinks. And then we um, we wanted to add a little programming. So now we do, instead of doing a fireside chat, I do a keg side chat uh, with an entrepreneur. That kind of not, De- kind of like, uh, Derek Wang from Yeah, Spotify that's right. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so kind of like this, although we don't we, we should record it better than we do. I think we just put it on Facebook Live. Um, but <laughs> and then have a discussion with an entrepreneur and talk about their journey and story. So uh, and let everyone have a beer. And uh, there are lots of really good stories now and really good entrepreneurs in town. And we need to get that message out, which is why I'm glad you're doing what you're doing here. Thank you. Thank you. No, I, I, I agree. Um, so you talked a little bit about how the companies have changed, but can you maybe go into a little bit of, of a discussion just around how the companies and your various programs have changed? I, the one thing I've noticed is they're coming from all over the place. I think I met, I've met a couple who came from, from the Bay Area even. Yeah, I, I remember um, in class three, right after your class, mm-hmm. when we decided to add FinTech and we started recruiting nationally and internationally, the first time we got a company from Silicon Valley in New York to come to Charlotte to incubate their company um, uh, people's jaws hit the floor, right? Yeah. And I remember that. It was the first time we as a community, this is about seven years ago, in my opinion, went on the offense for the very first time about what our entrepreneurial community is and the fact that people from outside it want to fight to get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just changed the mindset. It gave us a little bit of a swagger in our walk as a community. And now we have people from Singapore to Tel Aviv to Nigeria to L.A. to New York, you know, fighting to come in. We will have almost 200 people apply 
for a class of eight. That's a low single-digit acceptance rate that's similar to like Harvard or Stanford. I was gonna, I was gonna say that's Ivy League type of yeah, uh, right. Type and of and, and, and again, seven years ago, if I had stood up and said this is what we're going to do, people would have laughed me out of the state of North Carolina. <laughs> Well, I guess I'm, gl- I'm glad I got in early because I wouldn't, none of my companies would be able to get in at this point. <laughs> uh, that's going to be a no comment on my part. <laughs> so um, how have attitudes in, in Charlotte towards startups changed during this time? Yeah, you know, I talked about the, the joke about, uh, yeah. you know, uh, uh, what people used to think of entrepreneurs. And now it's really accepted. There is still what I would say a kind of a tale of two cities. Mm-hmm. There's the old school Charlotte power base um, a little bit of what's now was the chamber, now the Regional Business Alliance, um, the city and big companies, and then this whole entrepreneurial ecosystem that was really cool but really separate. And um, that's one of the passions I've had is trying to integrate the two. I think QC FinTech has done a lot of work in that in the financial services space. Um, even the Carolina FinTech Hub, which I helped get started with Mayor Claude Felter four years ago, and Tara Picari is now doing a fantastic job as executive oh, he director. Is, I, level is very involved in that, and, yeah. and I've seen it firsthand. And, that, uh, yeah. That's really the poster child for integration of the community from yep. city to public-private partnership to entrepreneurship. Uh, at CLT Jewels is also doing a really good job of that. And I think, uh, I know behind the scenes, some of the discussions that's going on, I think you're going to see more and more of that over the next couple of years in Charlotte. That, that's excellent. So what excites you the most about what's going on in Charlotte? Is there a company that's going on or is there, a, is it that movement that you just talked about? What, what's the, the, the hottest thing that you're excited yeah, about? You know, I think the connection of the community, the large company and the entrepreneurial community is certainly one of the things that's really cool that's happening. Um, I think the other thing uh, uh, generally that's happening is the growth in, in venture work. You know, our fund is only the second venture fund in Charlotte. Uh, Brandon's group, TFX Capital, which mm-hmm. focuses on veterans, uh, founded uh, companies and ours, which focuses on fintech, there's still no general um, venture fund in Charlotte, general technology venture fund. That's stunning to me in a city our, shot, our size. Good angel stuff through Greg Brown Group, Charlotte Angel Fund, and through the Venture South Group. Tons of growth equity, right? Frontier mm-hmm. Capital or Carousel or Pamlico, um, but no venture work. And that that's the next challenge we need to take as a community is really pushing forward on making Charlotte uh, a hot bud, hotbed for venture funding. Yep, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, you, you you talked about uh, pulling in startups from places like Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. and nowadays it's so well understood that Revolution has raised a rise of the rest fund. Yeah, that sure. They explicit, but that didn't happen back then. That that just was, no, was we were way, no, way nobody was time. thinking about that. So yeah, again, a, a couple of tailwinds that we didn't predict that were really fortunate for us is. Ten years ago, venture firms were all in New York and San Francisco, and um, if you got funded, if you were lucky enough to get funded, and I think you guys probably had this conversation through some of your funders, it's like, well, when are you moving to New York? Yeah. And now, no one asks that anymore because they understand that a five million dollar Series A round in Charlotte goes a is lot gonna, further. <laughs> is going to act like a twelve million dollar Series A round in the Valley or New York, and they'd rather spend five than twelve. Yeah. And the talent wants to come here. The quality of life is better. Young coders are trying to leave New York and San Francisco in droves because they can't afford to live there, and they well, love Charlotte. We we saw this at level. We we had we have sizable offices in both San Francisco and New York, and we always joke about we offshore to Charlotte. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so we have sales, and we've got enablement, and we've got a few other functions that need to be in those those yeah, epicenters. Sure. And we have developers there as well, but but the economics work a lot better. You can get talent without having to spend an arm and a leg, and those yep. people are better off in Charlotte. They're making more money relative to what the people yeah. that you're paying thirty or forty or fifty percent more. Yeah. So it's it's that, it's a win for everyone. Yeah, exactly. That's really interesting. So I'm, I've asked this question of many people: um, Greg Brown, Garth Moulton, Chad Stackowicz. Why do you think so many people were so surprised by Charlotte not making the cut in the HQ to, HQ two chase? Um, well, first of all, I'm really glad we didn't. Um, I think that would have been really bad for our city, and I'm probably a contrarian and on that viewpoint. No, it would have, it would have been ruinous for level. It, it, yeah, I, I think it would. I, I think I think people every one of our people would have come in instantly demanding a fifty percent raise. Right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think people understand how much oxygen that would have sucked out of the community in not a good way. And, well, and, and and the affordable housing yeah. crisis that I think we we are starting to have here would have accelerated. You think it's bad now? Yeah. Uh, so in a way, I'm kind of glad we didn't. Um, uh, I'm not sure why. I mean, they cited part of the reason is tech talent, uh, the amount of tech talent. I'm not sure I really buy that. Um, I, think, I think I think I um, think 
HB2 was a, was a big part I, I think of it was it. a big part of it and I'm and, and and I'm not sure if you know this I'm I'm probably one of the more vocal progressive business people in the community mm-hmm. and I'm quite outspoken which is why Tarek and I always joke our friendship is, is such an uh, anomaly right because he's a uh, conservative Republican city council member and I'm uh, about as progressive as they get but we focus on the issues we can focus on together yeah. right uh, and so HB2 in particular uh, I'm very opposed to um, unfortunately you know Dan Bishop and I used to be friends he used to be our lawyer and and unfortunately, he and I do not talk uh, anymore. Uh, and I think I think it was bad for business. I think it was bad for North Carolina, and still is bad for us. I, I agree. And, and as you know, I'm a very apolitical person myself. Yeah. But we actually donated money to to the ACLU level did, and we actually blogged about yeah. it because it was it was just a very unnecessary self inflicted wound. Well, it's a, it's a piece of advice I've given to every politician at every level who's ever asked me what can I do mm-hmm. to help, and I give them the Hippocratic Oath rule. Do no harm. Yeah. It is already hard enough as entrepreneurs what we do. Please, for the love of God, don't get in our way. Yeah. And HB2 is the worst example well, of politicians ca- getting in the way. PayPal can- canceled instantly. That was well, 500. Google, fi- Google Venture still won't come to Charlotte, yeah. right? Um, and so, I mean, we just don't need that kind of headwind. And now the downside, the reality is Charlotte has so many tailwinds mm-hmm. that that headwind wasn't felt as painfully as it could have been felt. Mm-hmm. But still, why why create headwinds when we don't need yeah. to? Now, I, I, think, I think that was working against us in HQ2. I think... Amazon is smart in that they, they realize the city can't support this. And, yeah. and they, wanted, they, they wanted all sorts of things that I, I think we just don't check the box. But I hope the good thing that comes out of that HQ2, I hope the lessons that we take are what were the reasons that we failed and what do we need to do as a community so yeah. that the, when the next one comes along, yeah. we're deciding if we want it or not. Well, and, and I would argue that I think there needs to be a fundamental shift in, uh, as a community, how we look at economic development and the fact that entrepreneurs can create jobs uh, and in terms of incentives at a fraction of the cost. Mm-hmm. It would have cost us an arm and a leg for the incentive package yep. that was put on the table for HQ2. Why not take one fiftieth of that and put it towards pulling entrepreneurs into Charlotte who can create jobs? Yep. That is a much better economic development strategy, in my opinion. I, I agree. Um, so you, you mentioned this too, but our, our chamber is in a bit of a state of flux. Um, well, it's not it's not the chamber anymore. It's the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance. Charlotte Regional Business Alliance. Come on, get, if you're going to run a podcast, John, you got to be up to date on this stuff. I, I know, and, and it's funny because I actually know the CRP folks a lot better than I yeah. than I know the chamber. I know Kiva and Rod and some real, real yeah. and, and Frank and some really good people in, in the chamber, but but obviously that's in a state of flux. Um, also, our city government seems to be in a secular trend towards becoming younger. Tarek mm. isn't the only one who, who, who joined the city council bringing the average age down, which sure. I think is wonderful. Politicians from both sides of the aisle, it, the trend is towards younger. Uh, it seems to be a clear trend. Um, what is going to be the catalyst to helping Charlotte continue to grow and be a great place to live and, and to start companies? Is it, uh, you know, is it the chamber? Is it the government? Or is it everything coming together in your mind like you've been talking about? You know, I think it's a whole bunch of things. I think it's hard to point at any one thing. Um, and I certainly don't want anyone to become complacent uh, mm-hmm. in saying this. But we've done a lot of the right things and we're heading in a lot of the right direction. I mm-hmm. joke that building a rich entrepreneurial ecosystem is like farming. And sometimes you need some patience. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at, you know, Avid Exchange uh, uh, taking 14 years to grow up yeah. uh, and, and, and having this breakout success after, what, nine or ten years? Um, there's a little bit of that farming mentality that we've planted some really good seeds. Um, as a matter of fact, I was talking to a reporter today that's writing an article about fintech in Charlotte. And we were talking about DealCloud. Caroline or? Uh, no, no, no. This is a okay. national publication. Oh, national publication. And, okay. um, uh, and the fact that... Um, DealCloud was the very first tenant into Packer Place, and you can follow DealCloud's journey into growing, uh, into becoming successful, into having an exit, into Rob now being one of our venture partners on the fund. Um, and you can see the fruit of this nine-year farming labor starting to pay real dividends. I think we'll continue to see that. Ben, who was Rob's partner yeah. in that, uh, was on the podcast a couple oh, of weeks fantastic. ago. Good. And he talked about, yeah, a 10-year overnight success story. Well, it's, it's funny. <laughs> I could still give Ben's pitch. He, he did it so many times at Packer Place. I mean, this is so many times. I swear to God, I could give Ben's deal cloud pitch still today, nine years later. I probably could. I, I spent <laughs> a lot of time with Ben when he was also a tenant there. And uh, it couldn't happen to, to a, a better group of guys. Yeah. I, I, I 
like, I always laugh because Ben used to always be who I would point to as the young entrepreneur. And now he's almost as gray as I am. So. <laughs> almost being the operative board. <laughs> exactly. I'll call it almost, but it's, it's, it's nowhere near, but still. <laughs> so for someone looking to get into the startup scene, what are your recommendations to get started today in, in Charlotte? You know, it's really simple. Just dive in, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to have a, a degree of uh, ability just to dive in. Um, there are so many good events that get that they get put on now. I tell people, even if you're just going to pick one event a month, yeah. pick a different event every month and go to it and just go network. In a very short period of time, you'll start seeing some familiar faces. I'll make uh, it simple for folks. I think Pitch Breakfast is the one. If you're gonna if you're gonna pick one that you go to every month, it's an amazing event. It, it, really it is, is really good. They do a fantastic job, and we're happy to to host them. But they do a great job. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's funny. I'm I'm going to record a solo so I do these longer form interviews, but I also do some where I just get up and talk about something where I've gotten yeah. feedback on and one of them is going to be called Get in the Game and it's yeah, just about correct. that. You've you've just got to go do it. You can't have the analysis paralysis. You've yeah. got to start. You've got to start somewhere and then iterate. We I did that with this podcast. I didn't wait until I learned everything about it. I'm still learning a lot, yeah. I, but I just started doing it. Yeah. You, you, I, then you, <laughs> my philosophy on that is is the same. I and this doesn't work for everyone and some entrepreneurs don't like my style on this one, but I'm very much a ready, fire, aim yep. type of person. I know where north is on the compass, and I'm yep. going to walk in that direction. If I hit a river, I'll figure out how to cross the river. It's how we started Packard Place. It's how we started the Accelerator. It's how we started the fun. Uh, it tends to work out really well for me, so I'm going to stick with it. That's that's great. Now, I've, I've heard you say that before, and I've, I've borrowed that without attribution. I apologize. <laughs> oh, great, great. <laughs> so so you came from banking. Um, but I, not not You didn't start your career there, but I you just spent not. some time in banking. Um, I had Scott Lean on, who I don't think you know, but he started a company called GrandPad in L.A. I mean, right. He came from Bank of America. He was one of my mentors at uh, at, at Reward Summit, and, um, and, and he spoke a lot about what he learned at the banks. What advantages do people coming from mega banks have when it comes to startups? Well, experience and credibility, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, one of my favorite stories to be able to tell for an entrepreneur is, uh, I did this for 20 years. I'm a subject matter expert. Here's a pain point that I always saw and wanted someone to go solve, and no one did. So I've now created the company mm-hmm. to solve this pain point that I've experienced for 20 years as an industry expert. And it may be a 50 or $100 million idea. And so, you know, B of A or Wells or those guys may go, you know, it's not worth our time. Whereas you're an entrepreneur and you can go after a $100 million idea that's the table scraps from something else. It's like, yeah, go for it. We And, and people think about that in their accelerator program. When you say accelerator, they expect 22-year-olds and cut-off jean shorts and flip-flops, right? Mm-hmm. Our accelerator are people in the 30s and their 40s Paul and their 50s. Or yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people who have decades of experience in what mm-hmm. they're doing. So, What disadvantages the people who come from banking have when it comes to startups? How much time do we got? No. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, um, uh, they have to have the right mindset, right? I mean, they have to be able to dive into the entrepreneurial world. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you grow up in that risk-averse environment, it's hard to unlearn those mm-hmm. things. Um, and sometimes I also describe it, if you play sports, if you're a really good athlete in baseball, right, really good athlete mm-hmm. in baseball, and then you want to go play soccer, just because you're a good athlete doesn't mean you're going to be good at soccer. Michael the, Jordan wasn't a great baseball player. Yeah, he wasn't the, a bad baseball the, player, the, but the he muscles, wasn't great. Yeah. The muscles may still be there, right, yeah. but it's a whole new le- uh, mm-hmm. set of muscle memory yeah. uh, and, and habits, and you have to be able to break into those habits. And, and some people are successful in doing that. Some aren't. Yeah, no, I saw it firsthand. Chris Hart is one of the best consultants yeah. I've ever met and, and really did well. Scott Harkey, who you know as well, yeah. just awesome, came from a banking background and they don't always work out that well. In fact, most of the time, I think it's really, really hard for them. What about when it comes to investing? Not the banks themselves, but they create a lot of people with disposable income. They do. A lot of them work with the Charlotte Angel Fund. What advantages and disadvantages do you see for ex or current bankers in investing in early stage companies? Um, we have a big gap in the level of potential uh, angel investors given the amount of accredited investors we have in Charlotte mm-hmm. versus those that are actually investing. <clears throat> a part of the problem is those people made their money as bankers, lawyers, doctors. They didn't Commercial make, real estate. They didn't make yep. their money as entrepreneurs, right? So they mm-hmm. don't understand it. Um, and so what is, talking about that farming and some patience, what is now starting to happen is some of these venture funds get put in place as people make money on Avid Exchange and Red Ventures. They're now starting to talk at dinner parties about 
hey, I made a ton of money investing in Avid Exchange. D- right? Deal cloud. I, the multiples I've heard that what what some stunning. of those early investors like like yeah. uh, like like Bud and and, and Mark and, mm-hmm. and, and Hugh. It, and, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and and so now now people are starting to talk about how they've made money mm-hmm. in venture investing, and that's going to get some other people off the sidelines. Maybe slowly at first, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we could, if you look at the number of angel investors, the number of people in Charlotte who have any ever done any kind of angel investment, I would have to guess that number is like 300, maybe 400 people. It should be three or 4,000 people. Yeah. I've had, I think, four of the investments I've done in, in, in early stage companies. Um, the main reason they wanted me was because I knew about angel investing because a lot of their, they had money lined up, and, but they just needed somebody who had done it before. Yeah. And could come in and point them in the right direction sure. on what a term sheet should look like. Some yeah. some of the basic. There, there's a great book if, if anyone listening wants to do it. Brad Feld wrote a book called Venture Deals. Fantastic book that just demystifies uh, the whole venture space. Um, venture folks, unfortunately, they try and make the process feel complicated to get a negotiating advantage. Yeah, and it's not complicated. It it, it really isn't. So so y- you know you mentioned this, but we're we're now seeing a lot of red ventures alumni yeah starting investing in and joining other startups. I expect we'll see a lot of this from Avid alumni, from Map Anything, from from Passport. You know, I, I, Map Anything already has exited. Passport hasn't, and that's pure conjecture. But clearly, they're they're careening towards something very very big. Um, I myself came from a successful startup called Amentra that has spawned probably seven or eight success stories, including Level and, and, and NextGrid, yep. about a handful of others. Can you speak a little bit to how important this multiplier effect is in the overall scheme of transforming a city into a thriving startup scene? Yeah, you get the the, the family tree of companies like that where people uh, make enough money, maybe not uh, retirement money, but make enough money. They mm-hmm. want to go do their own thing. They've seen uh, entrepreneurs be successful. They, they know, like if you talk to parents now, this is a bit of a stereotype, but parents aren't pushing their kids to be doctors and lawyers anymore. Mm-hmm. They're pushing their kids to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. They understand that's where... Go we, build an app or go build an Alexa that, that's skill. That's where or, real <laughs> wealth creation happens in America yeah. now. It's not... Even if you paid $300,000 a year, and that's a huge sum of money, right? Yeah. That's not where the multi-million dollar wealth creation happens. It happens as an entrepreneur. And I think people that have been in those companies and seen that happen for other folks are like, I want to go take my shot. And yeah. and that is that multiplier effect as you talked about. Yeah. Well, and, and they there's a, a, a paper I saw called The Trillion Dollar Startup, and it was Fairchild Semiconductor, because you can trace <laughs> a trillion dollars of market cap back to Fairchild directly. Yeah. Um, and, and I saw it firsthand in D.C. I came from the D.C. area, and AOL made, I think, three or four billionaires, and then I think over 1,000 or 2,000 millionaires. And it's amazing, because I, I believe Revolution Capital came out of that and a yeah, whole host of other things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's really interesting. Uh, uh, to see that. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think we've achieved enough momentum for what we've got right now to not implode on itself? Or is there a critical mass that we as a city and collection of startups and ecosystem mm-hmm. need, need to get to first? So I'm, I'm going to say um, two conflicting things out of my mouth at the same time, right? Um, I do think we are on the right path. Mm-hmm. I do think we're doing a lot of the right things. And I'll also say, as every entrepreneur knows, the moment in a growing business you get complacent, you get crushed. Mm-hmm. And I think the same danger is there for our ecosystem. I think we're doing a lot of the right stuffs. And if we get one ounce complacent mm-hmm. about growing this ecosystem, it will collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it is, while the trajectory is good, it is also that fragile. It is, mm-hmm. um, and it takes that constant energy to put into it. And so we can only withstand so many HB2s and self-inflicted yeah, wounds that's, before. That's why yeah. we're so angry about it, really. Yeah. I mean, um, and um, and I think every community in America is talking about entrepreneurship, right? They yep. Cleveland wants to come eat our lunch. Nashville wants to come eat our lunch. Tampa wants to come eat our lunch. Pittsburgh right? arguably is eating. Yeah, lunch. right. So I mean, we we got to go after it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, that, that's that's great advice. So, um, w- one interesting side effect of successful tech companies is that they bring new logos to the city. So for me personally, we sold a Mentra to Red Hat. Red Hat now has an office here in town. Yeah. Uh, Salesforce is going to take over the Map Anything space once that acquisition is is complete, which is mind blowing to me that you're going to be driving up 77 and see a Salesforce office. That, 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 sure. There's something really really cool about that to me. I mean, maybe maybe it's just because I'm a te- tech company geek, but. I wonder how many of these types of acquisitions need to happen before these world-class tech companies from other cities and states decide they need to place a flag here, right? Like, why does it take uh, Salesforce acquiring or Red Hat acquiring an Amentra? 
I think you've already answered your own question, though. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if you talk to John mm-hmm. and uh, the goals of what he thinks Salesforce will do in Charlotte, I think the acquisition of Map Anything was the linchpin. I think <clears throat> if you look at the acquisition of Deal Cloud mm-hmm. and the investment coming in Intap, Intap, and what fantastic the fantastic company—they weren't on my radar at all, but they're, you, I, I admire that. You company look at a lot. Cardinal uh, Technology in our building; they got bought by Insight and their plans for investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just go down the list. I think this is how this happened. Aflac Ventures bought um, Empowered Benefits, which is now Empowered, more than doubled in size already. Um, and I think you will continue to see that. I think even Credit Karma, if I'm not mistaken, actually acquired someone small here and then started expanding in what they're doing. So okay. I think that's a path of how big tech companies do it. And I think once they get into a market, then they have a reason to look at it. Uh, and they look at you know where they have 10 or 12 different places. They look at the attributes of all of them. They look at Charlotte and like, why are we not putting more people in Charlotte? Yeah, I, I agree. Credit Karma is an interesting one, going back to what I said about DC and kind of how th- that ecosystem was catalyzed by AOL. One of the other big catalysts in that ecosystem is Capital One. Yeah, um, yeah. Massive success story. And Nigel Morris um, left and started a fund called QED. Are yeah. you familiar? And, and uh, Nigel's been a keynote speaker at our conference. Yeah, okay. very yeah, familiar. Yeah. And so Credit Karma, they were the first investor in Credit Karma. They were early in Red Ventures. They were early in Avid. Mm-hmm. And it came from that Cap One massive creation of wealth and sure. talent. And it's... it's uh, it, 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 it's really cool to see. And QED, I was just in their space in Old Town Alexandria, and they've, they've really grown up. I was introduced to them when they were, it was really, I think, five or six guys. And, yeah. and now it's well, because of credit, largely because of Credit Karma, but they've had a lot of other... Yeah. They, had, they just had a $250 million exit last year to Experian with a company that they helped launch in 2015. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, it's part of um, uh, Charlotte's journey in the venture space that has to happen. Uh, it would have been nice if we had started 20 years ago with a cap one exit in QED, but it's the old Chinese proverb, right? What's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. Yeah. What's the second best time to plant a tree? Today. Yeah. And, and so that's what we need to start doing is we need to start focusing on building our venture community because it will pay those dividends 10 and 20 years down the road. Yeah, I've, I've, I was on William Bissett's podcast about a year ago, and he talks a lot about Pragerville, like Shoseskyville in, in Duke. And he, that, that's what he's he's hoping that, hey, when this when, wherever Abbott ends up, like mm-hmm. w- will there be Pragerville created and, and what will be the knock-on effect of, of, of what happens there? So, Yeah, Mike, by the way, if you don't know Mike Prager, is just one of Charlotte's fantastic entrepreneurial business leaders. Not only has he been wildly successful with what he's done at Abbott, but in my opinion – he has done it the right way. Mike mm-hmm. is engaged in the community. He will come out and help. He's been massively helpful mm-hmm. in the QC FinTech program. Even people know this, our first couple of conferences, uh, Mike and I were chatting one day, and his board meeting was going to be the week after our FinTech Generation conference. And I said, if I move the conference and our whole program back a week, could you get your board members to come speak so that's how you got Nigel. That's how we got Nigel. That's how we got Matt Harris from Bank Capital. That's how we got Brad Feld. Oh, and so we great. got all these great speakers. And even early on, we started QC FinTech, and we're trying to explain to people in Charlotte what an accelerator is. And they just can't get it. And I could, and that's when Abbott Exchange had announced their $225 million. BCV. Uh, yeah, with round. D-Rod, BD, whatever it was. That, with, was. that was Feldman and BCV were the two yeah, big yeah. names on and, there, and, uh, and now I could point to them and say, that we're trying to plant seeds that grow up and look like that and they're like oh i get yeah, it yeah. so a- avid's been immensely helpful in just numerous ways so yeah. shout out to mike a- absolutely it's uh it's, it's really been interesting to see see that 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 build so we have a lot of uh co-working space in in charlotte now um it's high in other cities for sure, but I notice a new one every week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you obviously got on board with that trend very early on with, with Packard. Can you speak to why it's taking the world by storm and maybe how you see it evolving or playing out? Yeah, I, I remember you know almost 10 years ago, we had to explain what co-working was to people in Charlotte, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Packard really was the first big facility. Um, and then as other people grew up, it's funny, people would always come to me and like, well, aren't you worried about you know somebody starting a co-working facility? And we're like, no, that's the whole reason we did this is to build the ecosystem, is mm-hmm. to grow the pie. Um, that's a good thing. There'll be a big enough market and a robust enough market. We will all do well. And that certainly has proved to be true. Um, the same thing happened when WeWork came in, which, which is a little different story because all that money goes back to New York versus stays in the community. Mm-hmm. But even the reason WeWork is here and then came in in such a big way, I believe is because of the groundwork that... Packard Place laid and, and Advent laid and Hugo laid and, and, and we were came in and said, oh, we can come and compete here. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, if you're in Charlotte, 
and you're not in an Advent or a Hugo or a Backer place and you're in WeWork, you should be asking yourself why. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing to me how many people, and I'm going to pick on people for a second, so my apologies, but <laughs> sit at WeWork and then will come to me at Packer Place to come to our programming for free and complain to me about how local businesses aren't supporting their local startup. I'm like, <laughs> do you get the irony of that comment? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is it is interesting. We 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 did use we use a lot of WeWork at level just because the the flexibility for us sure. of um being we we started with a two person office in in Midtown and yeah. grew to it's now a thirty two person office and yeah. I think what we're paying is is a, but, but the ability to grow. But I do yeah. it, it's it's like anything. If you've got a local vendor who can support you, you should go with them. You should talk to you or you should talk to Garrett, right? Like yeah, it's, it's, it's part of the ecosystem, right? So, yeah. I mean, we are never going to serve you rose-infused water at Packer Place, I assure yeah. you, but uh, there's a heck of a community there. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. We would have never done WeWork in Charlotte, but in the, yeah. the New York market that we don't know or the San Francisco market sure, that sure. we don't know, like you... Totally understand. It, but, but I do think WeWork is good for, for the city of Charlotte. I was kind of miffed because we were looking to move level from um, our, our office in, in the NASCAR Hall of Fame building. And, um, and I'm very good friends with Bob and Brad and Christian over at, at, at Passport. And we, we were pretty far down the path of selecting, having the floor right below those guys yeah. as, as our yeah. place to be. And WeWork took seven floors and was adamant that they had to get that floor. And uh, yeah. that was when I stopped talking to WeWork. When I, before that, they would call me and I'd, I would entertain it and take their calls. But I was like, you know what, fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it is net. It is good, right? I mean, it yeah. shows the growth of Charlotte, development of Charlotte. So I, I am glad they're here as much as I uh, will position ourselves against them. And, and I'm good friends with John Christenberry. He's one mm-hmm. of my favorite young young business people in, in Charlotte. It and uh, he he was instrumental in bringing bringing them here and he was very early on one of the early commercial real estate guys sure. to understand how important co working space is yeah, absolutely <laughs> well Dan th- this has been great I know we're tight on time I could talk to you for for hours I'm going to have you back you back in I'll be happy to do it anytime <laughs> you've worked tire- tirelessly since I've known you to connect people and and to create a space for innovation to thrive it's great to see the momentum you've built and that the city has built. We've talked about a lot of very exciting things going on, whether it be Abbott or Red Ventures or Map Anything or Passport or Stratified or Skipper, and the, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, thanks for everything you've done for this community, and uh, thanks for sharing just a little bit of that today. We will do it again soon. No, I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me on. All right. Cheers. Cheers.